Would you turn with me uh, to the book of Joshua chapter 14? We're going to begin in verse 11. This has been our, our theme scripture these past few weeks as pastor has been speaking to us. And I'm going to read uh, this scripture and then I'm going to kind of open up into where I'm going to uh, launch into this morning. Joshua 14 verse 11 says this. And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Someone say, give me this mountain. Of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And everybody said, Amen. Pastor has been speaking to us these last few weeks about possessing our mountain, possessing our mountain. And he's been speaking to us about defeating the giants that stand in between us and that mountain that God has called to conquer. How many know that you're called to kill giants and conquer mountains? Amen. And so this morning, uh, Pastor gave me some liberty because he's, he's kind of in between transitioning this series And I prayed this week really earnestly because, to be honest, there there were so many different directions I could take this. But I really feel like the Lord put this word on my heart. I want to speak to you this morning uh, about the story of David. All right. Now, David is someone that we're all familiar with. And this is someone whose story really stands out in the Bible and is often most famous. But I want us to... Look at some aspects of his life in a fresh way this morning. Can we go on a little journey this morning? I want to talk to you this morning about David the giant killer. Someone say the giant killer. But specifically, I want to speak from the subject, the making of a giant killer. So turn your neighbor and say the making. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you right up front, I got quite a bit of scripture to read. Is that okay? I'm going to read... This story that we're so familiar with, and I'm going to do it quick, and we're going to extrapolate some things today, okay? I got about, I don't know, six or seven points today about his story. And, and for some of you, one or two or three of the points are going to stick out and they're going to hit home. For some of us, they're all going to hit home. But I really believe that God has something for us in this text this morning. Are you ready? Amen. Let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. It says, Then David spoke to the men... Who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Quick backstory. Most of us know this story. David is sent from the fields by his father on an errand to bring food to his brothers. What's, what's crazy about this, and we're going to get into this in a second, he's already been anointed king, but he's still the errand boy. Right? His father sends him from the field. He says, go bring food to your brothers. And he says, check on their well-being. What happens is this, is that when David shows up, Goliath has been taunting Israel for 40 days. And when David shows up, immediately he begins to ask, who is this Philistine? Are you with me? It says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Amen. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And for the sake of time, 
I'm, I'm going to spare us the rest because most of us know the story. The rest is, is history. We know that eventually David makes his way out to the giant and he kills this giant. But today, here, here, here's the thing. I, I don't want to so mu- much focus on David killing the giant. How many know that this is really a remarkable story? And actually, I think it was a couple of years ago, I taught from this text and um, it was on a different subject. And I I told the church then, God had really changed my perspective on this story. For so many years, the way I heard this text preached is that David was the underdog going out to face Goliath. But God had to completely change my perspective and show me that David was really never the underdog. (laughs) He was prepared for this moment. God had been preparing him for years for this moment. You see, this is what I want to say today. Giant killers don't just happen. They're made. They're forged. They're prepared. Okay? And when David shows up this day, I, I, I know that Goliath had all of the natural, it seems like he had a lot of the natural advantages, but David has some of the untangibles and tangibles that people couldn't see, and he was not the underdog. As a matter of fact, there was no way that Goliath was going to get out of this fight alive. I, 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 that's, I'm preaching better than you're a minute right now. I'm telling you, all right, he was not the underdog. But today, as remarkable as this story is, I I don't want to talk about him killing Goliath. Because what's equally remarkable to me is how David got to this point. All right? What I'm impressed with, as much as I'm impressed with him killing Goliath. By the way, do you know what Goliath means in Hebrew? Anybody? It means to uncover or to reveal. You see, the giants may have been sent to stop you or to try to kill you, but God allowed them because it's actually going to uncover and reveal what he's placed inside of you. Goliath was on assignment that day to torment Israel, but God had an assignment that the giant was actually going to reveal who his servant David was and who God was in David. Are you with me this morning? And what's incredible to me is that for 40 days, Israel is shaken in their boots. But when David shows up, David is so confident. It's as if he doesn't skip a beat. As a matter of fact, we didn't read it, but there's a portion in that story where when he, when he begins to ask questions, who is this Philistine? The Bible actually says his brothers turned to him and said, what's wrong with you? We know, stop being arrogant. Stop being prideful. We know what's in your heart. They literally told him that. But it's, it's interesting because from the minute that David showed up on the scene, there was such confidence. And when we read the story, when he goes out to face Goliath, we don't get the impression. It's not like he was walking and shaking. Right? Are you with me? I, like when I'm picturing David killing Goliath, he doesn't seem to be afraid. So it's not like he's shaking. When I'm picturing David, it seems like he's like, okay, let's just do this. Let's get it on. Let's do this. Right? There, there was some calmness and some stillness there. You know, there's an old saying that still waters run deep. Amen? How many of you have heard that before? Still waters run deep. I want to talk about the depth and what God built in David to prepare him for this moment. You know, it's interesting that when we think about destiny, so many times we're focused on the climax of those stories. So many times when we think about destiny, we're thinking about that big moment. But can I tell you, in between here and the des- a big moment, there's a bunch of normal days. There's a bunch of day after days. There's a bunch of preparation. I read the other day that A bamboo tree, it takes five years. They have to be nurtured underground for five years. Then within five weeks, they grow 90 90 feet tall. If at any time they're not properly treated while they're still being nurtured in the soil, they will not grow. But after five years, they shoot up 90 feet. And I think about the redwood trees in Northern California where where my my wife is from that region. 
I think about the redwood trees. When you go to the redwoods, it's amazing how tall these trees are and how wide these trees are. And you think, how can these trees stand? But what we can't see is that their root systems go miles into the ground. This was not a fluke or an accident. This was many years in the making. Are you with me this morning? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. Are you, okay, you guys ready? The first thing I want to point out about this, the making of this giant killer, and that we often don't realize is this, is that David did not have a good childhood. How do we know this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 through 13? For the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase this. God speaks to Samuel and says, Samuel, stop mourning for Saul. I've chosen a new king, a man after my own heart. He says, he, he, he gives Samuel instruction. He says, go find Jesse and I'm going to show you one of his sons and you're going to anoint him to be king. How many know this story? Well, he comes to Jesse and he says, bring me your sons. And of course, Jesse brings all of his sons except for David. It's a very strange story. And you know what? At first, the Bible lets us know that the prophet Samuel was actually impressed specifically with one of Jesse's sons. And he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, listen, do not look at their appearance for I do not judge based upon appearance. He says, for I, the Lord, look upon the heart. And so he went through each boy. Right. And he's, and he's, Jesse, are these all of your sons? He goes, no, I got one more. He's out there taking care of the sheep. He says, bring them. And it says, now when he, the Bible, Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he, he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and he was good looking. I don't know why the Bible has to add all those details, but it lets us know. Apparently he was uh, ruddy and good looking, okay? And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And the Bible says he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. We don't, you know, we can't say for certain what the circumstances were. But something around David's birth, David's birth was surrounded and shrouded in shame and embarrassment. The Bible doesn't give us details, but David himself gives us a few hints in the Psalms. Psalm 51.5 says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. A lot of times we read this and we think that, that David here is just talking about his sinful humanity but theologians tell us that not only is he doing that, he's actually describing the circumstances of his birth. Many scholars believe that David was actually the byproduct of an adultery. There was something about his birth that was embarrassing and shameful to his father and to his brothers to the point where they didn't want him around. He said this in Psalm chapter 60, 69 verse 8. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. And, and, and you got to understand when we're reading the Psalms, there's a double meaning in all of them. Because David was actually a type and a shadow of Christ. <laughs> you do remember that when Jesus was born, there was some controversy around his birth too. <laughs> At first, Joseph was going to put, put Mary away until an angel came and spoke to him. So this psalm is both prophetic, speaking of the Messiah, but also we can read and we can just tell clearly in David's life. We don't know what it was, but David was shunned, he was neglected, and he was an embarrassment. Are you with me this morning? Something was going on. It's really messed up when someone says, bring me your sons, and you bring them all except for one, and you pretend like he doesn't exist. Can I say something? 
Sometimes when we approach the Bible, in the Bible, how many know the Bible is the Holy Scriptures? The, the text is breathed by God. It is the Word of God. But what happens is this, is sometimes we fail to see the humanity in it. There was some real family drama here. And David grew up in a situation where he was not loved and nurtured the way his brothers were. He was literally, as it were, the redheaded stepchild. The Bible said he was ruddy. He literally was the redheaded stepchild, okay? Are you with me this morning? Stick with me. We're on a journey. Are you with me? The Bible, and this is why we know that he was sent out to the fields to look after the sheep. Now, you have to understand that, that David's father was actually a very respected man in Israel. And so all of his other sons had other duties and other responsibilities, but David was given the menial task of being a shepherd. How many of you ever grew up on a farm or you grew up around a farm? All right. How many of you know that uh, animals stink? Okay. As much as we've made technological advancements and all of our sanitation and all that, I don't know about you, but when you go to a farm, even today, it still stinks. Okay. Animals stink. Now, now imagine going back thousands of years when there's no uh, water system, there's no soap. David was literally sent to do the menial task of taking care of sheep. And back then, that was a dirty business. It was not something that was highly respected or highly regarded amongst peers. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe he was sent to take care of the sheep because to me, it appears that this was an out of, out of sight, out of mind type situation. David being around irritated his brothers, much like Joseph. And his father said, you know what? Go take care of the sheep. Out of mind, out of sight. David was despised, overlooked. And to be honest with you, based upon the text, we know that David, not much was, ex- was expected of him. And he was shunned. Now imagine with me what was going through David's mind and emotions as he was a little boy coming into young manhood. How many of you know that he had to wrestle with all of these things? He had to wrestle with this reality that his brothers and his fathers didn't think much of him. And he had to imagine the thoughts and the feelings going on in him. But here's what I want to tell you today. Because uh, I, 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 what I love about God, this is probably one of my favorite things about God. How many of you know that God has many wonderful attributes? Let me tell you one of my favorites. It's Romans 8 chapter 28. Okay, and we know that all things say all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Someone say amen. Amen. And and here's what I love about this is, you know, God's the same yesterday, today and forever. And I, I know that this is a New Testament scripture, but God has always been this way. And how many of you know that it, it, David may have been shunned and rejected by his own, but there was a purpose on his life. And, God, you know, this looked like a, a terrible situation, but God was working all of this. Even from David's early years, he was working and turning all of this for his good. And I want to speak to somebody this morning. You know, this, this may not be everyone, but unfortunately in the world that we live in, most of us come from some type of family situation or dysfunction or, 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 or we come from a place of brokenness. And I want I to I declare to you today that your biography does not have to be your destiny because God will even take the pain and the traumas of childhood and begin to work them for your good. Let me say this. There are people that should have loved you better. Can I even go as far as to say this? Jesse was considered a man of God. He should have known better than to treat David that way. It may have not even been in your natural family. Maybe you've had some people who have hurt you spiritually. You've been spiritually abused. Or people who should have looked after you and cared for you and helped nurture your destiny. For some of you who've ever experienced the pain of rejection and betrayal... You know that that's one of the most painful things that you can ever walk through. Do you know that if 
if we were just to take a look at David's biography before we read the big moments, no one would have thought that this would be the giant slayer or the future king of Israel. So he was sent to the fields to be forgotten. But what seemed to be a bad hand that was dealt to David actually turned into the greatest blessing. Because it was during his time in the fields that God molded David. You want me to tell you what I believe the first giant that David overcame? It it seems that by all accounts, he passed the temptation of bitterness. Someone say bitterness. Because here's the thing, when we, when the story picks up in 1 Samuel 16 and we read about David being in the fields, nowhere in the text do we get any inclination that there was any complaining coming from David. You won't find anywhere in the text that David was complaining about taking care of the sheep. You won't find any place in the text where he uh, got an attitude with Jesse and said, I'm not going to go do it. No, no. What we actually find is that David was being obedient and he was actually honoring his father and doing everything that was asked of him. I'm sure, as I said, I know that David's human and he had to process lots of hurt and pain and rejection and all those things. But here's what what seems to be coming out through this story is that David seemed to come out on the other side of this with a pure heart. Someone say a pure heart. You know, David had every right to be angry. How many know that David had every right to be angry? He had every right to feel like he was cheated. And you know what? We can even understand from a human perspective, if David wanted to be vengeful, how many know that he could have been vengeful? But David came out on the other side of this impurity. Impurity. Instead of being angry, instead of being vindictive, instead of being vengeful, what happened is this, is that when he was sent to the fields to be forgotten, what actually happened is David ended up finding refuge in God. He ended up finding refuge in the very place that he was sent out of shame. (laughs) See, because here's what I believe, that even as a young man, when he was wrestling with all of these questions in his heart, I believe that while he was out there in the field, the healing balm of God's presence began to massage his heart. It began to massage his heart. And there's something, something began to happen as, as God began to develop this young man. Somehow he had the intuition, the wisdom, and the insight uh, by the grace of God not to get bitter, not to get angry, but he seemed to actually be getting better. And here's what I want to say. The first thing, let me tell you, you're not going to be able to be a giant killer if you're going to be bitter. All of us could point to a situation where we, we, we could have a right to be upset or angry. But if there's a, one of the first lessons we can learn from David is we're either going to get bitter or we're going to get better. Are you with me this morning? And I believe, this is what I believe. God was actually, how many know he turns all things for his good? God was preparing David. You know what's remarkable? That's why later on when we read this story... When God starts to promote David, the Bible says that Saul begins to persecute him. David's already had major father issues and major family issues. Now he's getting promoted. And here's another male figure who should be happy for him and should be mentoring him. But yet again, he's despised. I mean, what else do you call someone throwing a spear at you? I, I call that... That's pretty bad. (laughs) But did, did you notice that even as God promoted David, the Bible says Saul began to persecute him? David didn't react. You know why? This is not the first time he's faced this type of pain. But you know what? He's already overcome this when no one was watching. He's already overcome this when no one was watching. Here's what I want to say. God will, God will work with us. You know, God, God, does, God does not have a problem with us being hurt or in pain because he's a healer. 
But here's the thing. You can't be a giant killer and be bitter, okay? And here's why. Because when you get to that level, when God starts to promote you and you start actually walking in your calling at a high level and you start slaying giants that God has called you to slay, you can't be thin-skinned at that level. You can't get, listen, at that level, you can't get offended at what this person says or what this person thinks or who doesn't believe in you. Because if you're thin-skinned at that level, every little insult, every little comment, every little thing will deter you. But when you've been already been through the fire and you've already been tried and tested when no one was watching, then God can trust to promote you to a place of elevation. Because believe you me, there will be people that oppose you. Amen. Sometimes the greatest giants we have to conquer are first the wounds of offenses. The temptation to be offended. Someone say amen. How am I on time? Am I good on time? Time is at 10. Okay. You guys with me? It, it, so it was in the field that David first overcame this temptation. But how many know it was also here that David also learned how to worship? You see, because when you're a shepherd, there's a lot of downtime. I'll never forget someone that I look up to one time told me something just casually. He said, you know what? You know, he said, it's so important how you steward downtime. Someone said downtime. Because in between where you are right now and these destiny moments, these, these, these Kairos destiny moments that God has caused you to step in. How I many know there's, there's a lot of downtime? David had a lot of downtime in those fields. There, there were times where after eating and drinking, these, these sheep would just kind of be chilling. So David had time to lean against a tree. And this is when David would begin to take out a harp. Because how many know, it could get lonely just you and some sheep. <laughs> he learned how to worship to the audience of some sheep. He had a lot of downtime. So this is where David began to take out a harp and he began to play. Later, the Bible says that David could play skillfully. So David began to bust out this harp and he began to worship God. And this is where I believe some of the most formidable years of David's life took place. That God was revealing himself in the very place that David was sent to be shamed and forgotten. In the very place he could have, he could have taken a defeatist mindset and said, this isn't fair. Why am I here? I deserve to be there. But instead, in the moment he worshiped. Because you see, God, this is what I truly believe about God. We don't learn about God like a classroom where it's like a textbook in a text. No, you learn about God through the, through the valleys and the mountains of life and the highs and the lows of life. That's where you really discover who God is. That's where David discovered who he was. What David didn't find at home, he found in God. Where in David's rejection, he found acceptance as God's beloved. In David's isolation, he began to find his home in God. And in David's distress, he found peace. He found peace. You know, I love Psalm 23. How many love Psalm 23? Right, you know right now, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. But have you ever thought about this psalm? Because David wrote it. He's writing from the perspective of a shepherd. You see, because David himself was a shepherd. And so this is what, this is what a life in David's life looked like every day. When he would, every night, the sheep would have to be corralled into what's called a shepherd cave or a barn, right? Because how many know when David, when, when a shepherd would go to sleep, you got to make sure the sleep don't just, the sheep don't wander, Right? But then what would happen is, is when David would wake up, he would have to take the sheep and go look for some green pastures so they could eat. Because if the sheep don't eat, they die. David would also have to find them water. Because if the sheep don't drink, they die. You know, I've been to Israel twice, and Israel is, 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 is it's, it's, 
A complete paradox. It's, it's, it's one of the most marvelous places. You can be standing in Israel, and literally on one side, it's a desert. Then on the other side, it's like green like an oasis. Right? And so David would have to travel and navigate through these rocky and desert places, and he would have to find green pastures, and he would have to find still waters. And every once in a while... You know, in Israel, they have these valleys where it's dark and it's dense and there's, there's, there's all these type of prey. And, and that's what David would call the valley of the shadow of death. You see, when David is speaking about the valley of the shadow of death, he's not only speaking metaphorically, he's, he's literally speaking about the valley that some shepherds had to walk through. So when, the, when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, what David is telling us is that through his experiences in the field, just like David had to look after these sheep and lead them to green pastures and lead them to waters. He said, in these very hills, that's what God did for me. When no one wanted me and I, I was an embarrassment and no one thought much of me, that's what God was doing for his soul. God was leading David to green pastures. So David could have been angry. He could have been vengeful. But you know what? All the while he was out there, God was causing him to lie in green pastures. The water, the the spirit of God began to saturate the soul of David. And when David walked through tough times, the hand of God delivered David. So when David's writing this psalm, he's saying, this is what the Lord did for me. This is what David did. This is what God did for David. And you know what I love about God is that God has a track record, okay, hear me on this, of having a heart for the forgotten, the lonely, and the forsaken. If you want to find God, go to the margins. Did you hear what I said? If you want to find God, go to the margins. God always looks for the ones who are forgotten, forsaken, who are left to die. And out of this place, God was forging the next king of Israel. Are you with me today? Number number six, it was also in this field. Okay, David began to learn how to worship, but it was also in this field that David's character and his skill as a fighter was molded. David was a really interesting character because on one hand, you have this very tender-hearted person, right? How many know he was tender-hearted? On one hand, you have this tender-hearted man who was a worshiper. But at the exact same time, you got a guy that you really wouldn't want to cross. How many know that David was no chump, okay? He was this tender-hearted person who could get before the Lord and worship like no one else. But he's also the type of man that could kill Ten thousands in war and slay giants. Where did he learn to fight? I'm going to tell you where. In those same fields. Someone say those fields. See, let me tell you what else impresses, impresses me about David. At some point, he took ownership of what had been assigned to him. He took on those sheep. As if they were his sheep. Someone say ownership. He took ownership. And I I believe that he began to love these sheep. As if they were his own sheep. They weren't just his father's sheep anymore. No David had actually sank into this role. And embraced his role as a shepherd. Are you with me this morning? And it's in this context. That David learned how to fight. You know why? Because especially in those times, back in Israel, in those times, they had lions, they had bears, they had all kind of prey. And what would happen is, is literally at any given moment, a shepherd could be walking his flock, feeding his flock, leading them to the brookside or the water to get drink. And out of nowhere, a lion could come. Out of nowhere, a bear could come. And what happens is this, if you're out there all by yourself, you got to do something about it. It's either you sit there and let the sheep be eaten, right? Or you do something about it. And the Bible lets us know that David killed bears and lions as they came to attack the sheep. So let me get this straight. Your father doesn't like you. Your brothers don't like you. They send you to the field. You could have been bitter. You could have, you could have sat around and pouted and said, you know what? I deserve better. I'm not doing this. But no, you took ownership and now you're risking your life in the place that was supposed to be the place of your shame. And it was in this place 
that God was molding the character of David because it was in this place that David learned how to live for something that was greater than himself. Not only that, it was at this place that he learned how to be skillful because the Bible says he killed lions and bears with his bare hands. And you know what else happened? A lot of downtime, right? So sometimes he was playing that harp and worshiping. And guess what he was doing some other times? He was going, putting some rocks up on a fence post. I don't know if they had fences back then. I'm assuming they He was putting some rocks up. He's coming over here. And he was grabbing a slingshot. And he was taking some stones. And he was practicing. He had a lot of downtime. You know what I've noticed about purpose? Sometimes we're sitting around waiting for that big moment. And God's saying, what are you doing with what's in your hands? What do you, you know what? What's crazy is this, is sometimes we, we think, sometimes we think we're sitting on, on nothing and God's saying, you don't even know what I'm putting in your hands. That's good right there. He had, David had no idea. <laughs> we have no indication that David ever knew what would become of this skill. But while he was in his downtime. It was here he learned how to fight. It was here that he learned how to kill lion and bears. And here's, I'm, I'm arriving at my seventh point. And this is where I'm going to preach for five minutes. Can I preach for five minutes? What I love about this story, this is one of my favorite things. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. You know... The Bible says that when Samuel saw one of Jesse's sons, he was really impressed with him. He said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, right? And God said, no, don't look at the appearance, right? So they go send for David. Now, guys, just picture this with me. This is, this is one of my favorite things to do with the Bible. You know, sometimes, like I said, you know, we... we Approach it, and I think sometimes what, what helps is when we step back and we look at the humanity of it. Picture with me what this moment must have looked like to his brothers. Here his brothers are standing there, right, thinking that they're going to be the one's anointed king. I don't know, but I'm assuming they were dressed pretty nicely. But here he says, go get David. And how many know that David was coming in from the fields? David has been sweating. David's most likely been sleeping in the dirt. And how many know that he most likely smelled like sheep? And sheep-like material, if you catch my drift, right? David comes in smelling like sheep, and he's filthy. And I love this. Because it, it, they, they don't tell David, hey, go clean yourself up. Go take a shower. Go make yourself presentable. When David gets anointed king, he's filthy. You know what I love about this? When David gets anointed, he smells like all the past seasons of his life. You see, let me, let me, let me tell you something that I've learned about God. See, God doesn't want to anoint who we pretend to be. You know, I, I know that sometimes we wish we could have someone else's look or someone else's this, or we would rather look like that. But when God anointed David, he smelled like sheep. He smelled like sheep poop. He smelled like dirt. He was filthy. And it was in that context. He said, I'm going to, he, he took the horn of oil and he anointed David because you know what? He was anointing who David was, who he had become. And David looked like all of the seasons of his life, all of the trials, all of those years. And he, isn't it interesting that when David was younger, he was sent into the fields to be forgotten, but now he's being summoned to be anointed a king. What's even more impressive, impressive, what does David do after he gets anointed king? He goes back to the fields. 
I mean, you would think that after he gets anointed, that his family would throw a big party and say, oh my God, like, you know, now, now they would start pretending like, oh, we liked you all along. We were just playing. No. He goes back to the field. We know that because in the next cha- in the next section, they, the Bible says that um, they were looking for someone who could play this, the harp skillfully. And it says they, they went and sent for David in the field. He got anointed to be king. And he went back into the field. Picture this. He goes back into the field, but this time he's smeared in oil. He's covered in oil. Someone say covered in oil. You know what this story is like? It's as if he was at work and he went on his lunch break, got anointed and went back to work. It's the most bizarre story. Are you with me this morning? It's as if it didn't even get to his head at all. But you know, you, know what, you know what I love about this? Even though he was anointed to be king, his time in the field had not yet ended. Can I, can I say something this morning as I get ready to close? You know, sometimes the key to breakthrough is to pray through, right? Sometimes the key to breakthrough is an act of obedience. But sometimes the key to the largest breakthrough of your life is to finish the current season you're in well. Okay, to finish the current season you are in well. You know what I have discovered about God is that if you'll be faithful with where he's placed you now, your calling has a way of finding you. The very next section of scripture The king needed someone to play. And you know what? They went and sent for him. Let me tell you what. There's going to come a time when they're going to send for you. But here's what we often, we get anxious and we want to jump to that next season. And God's saying, your season right here is not done yet. If we'll finish this season well, there will be times where they will literally come and they'll get you. You don't have to make it happen. You know what I love about this story is that God was doing it all along because when God promotes you, no one can take it from you. Listen, if you have to, if you have to make it happen for yourself, guess what? You're going to have to, you're going to have to fight to keep it. But if God gives it to you, you're not going to have to, you're not going to have to fight to keep it. You're just going to be able to walk into your purpose, but a lot of destiny is dependent upon what are you stu- what are you doing with this moment in stewarding the season you're in now. Are you with me this morning? Here's what I want to say. This is really on my heart. Be faithful to what God has placed in your hand in this season. Amen. And here's what I also love, and I got to close. David was not in a rush to be seen. You know, in a culture that values being seen. You know, so many times we, we equate being seen as uh, we equate it to being significant. Okay, in a culture that values being seen, this is what I've learned. Learn to appreciate and value the times that God has you hidden. Listen, appreciate, you know, I know, I know it's like, if you're like me, sometimes you, you almost want to get ahead of God, right? But man, I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest blessings is learning how to sit under that harness. Harness. And when God lifts it, it's a blessing. But whenever you try to make it happen sometimes before you're ready, we'll end up ruining it, right? But, then, but, but what we can learn from David is this, is that when, when it came time for David to be elevated, God began to do it. And David, he literally just began to walk in it. And you know what? All of those seasons of preparation, all of those times of downtime, now all of a sudden, God was causing everything to come together for his good. Everything. All those hours of playing the harp when no one was watching, all those hours of worshiping, all those hours of taking care of sheep, all those hours of practicing that slingshot, All of a sudden, all the things in your life that seem insignificant, in a moment, God brings it all together and you realize, wait a minute, God, you were working all along and I realize that I'm actually equipped. I'm equipped for this moment. I didn't see that you were moving all along, but you've made me ready for this moment. This moment. Someone say this moment. 
So God develops us in the hidden and the secret places. And you know what I love about this story is that Israel got to a place where David didn't need the throne. The throne needed him. Do you hear me? <laughs> I know that sometimes, can I, can I preach real for five minutes and I really got to close? Uh, like, I love that when he gets anointed, he goes right back to serving. S- some of us, we get anointed and we get hard to deal with. We get big headed. But God's looking for some people that can get anointed and go right back to serving. Because the anointing is not there so we can be like, hey, look at this. No, that's why David didn't need the throne. It needed him. It literally got to a place where God says, go get David. I need him to sit on the throne because he's been made ready for this. This is the type of king Israel needs. And it's a blessed place where you get to the place where you don't need that, uh, that title or that position. But you know what? It needs you. You don't need that place of influence to be happy or fulfilled or feel significant. But guess what? It needs you. And guess what? One day... They're going to send for you if you do not despise the day of small beginnings. Last thing, and I'm done. You know what? I, my absolute favorite part of this story, absolute, is this part right here. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it said, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, And he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Can you, I'm out of time. Can you stand with me as as I make this last point? As you stand, listen to this. This is powerful. When David went out to fight Goliath, y'all remember what happened? Saul said, put on my armor. How many of you remember that? They tried to put Saul's armor, but how many know it didn't fit him? So he said, no, I'm better without it. I'm paraphrasing, right? Someone say, I'm better without it. Listen to me. You can't wear someone else's armor. Check this out. When David goes out to fight Goliath, the Bible says he had his shepherd's staff in his left hand and his slingshot in his other hand. He went out to face Goliath looking like a shepherd. Because just like he was anointed as he was, God said, I'm going to use you who you are. You are. You can't look like Saul and you can't look like these other people. When David walked out, imagine Goliath was insulted. He looks down. Here he is in full armor with a spear and shields and swords. And he looks out and he sees a shepherd boy with a staff. But you know what? There's something important about a staff. Do you know what shepherds would do with their staff? They would carve things into their staff. Do you know it was very common in those days for shepherds to write their story on their staff? When they would kill prey or when something significant would happen, they would make a mark. I can't prove this, but I just, this is how I picture this story. David's walking out, looking like a shepherd. And everyone's like, oh man, this is going to be bad. And he's walking out and he looks at his staff. Oh, there's that notch. That's that bear I killed. Oh, there's that notch. That's the lion that I killed. And you know, let, let me put it like this. David walk toward the giant looking like his testimony and and he set his staff down for just a moment just long enough to kill the giant but when he walked out he looked like all of his past seasons and God delivered the giant into his hand are you with me this morning the rod that he was carrying represents his journey it represents his history with God and I want to tell you that this morning is that if we'll make history with God, God will make history with us. And there's two things I want to pray over us this morning. As you come, I want to ask our altar workers to please uh, come get prepared. I know I'm a few minutes past my time. Will you forgive me for that? I'm sorry about that. Time just gets away from you. But there's two things I want to pray over us. So I, I want to invite you to please come join me. All of our... Um, altar workers are here and it's our custom that we, we close out here at the altar every single week and I want to honor that this morning 
the spirit of worship. I hope that something I said this morning helped you. Did that help anybody this morning? There's two things that that I really felt like I want to pray over us and I want to speak over you as, as we get ready to leave this place. But before I do, we never want to let any service end without giving the invitation. If there's anyone here, you've never received the Lord and you want to receive the Lord this morning. We have altar workers and prayer counselors here who want to pray with you. If that's you, please come find one of them. Amen. If you're a first time guest, we have a conference room that's down this hall on the left. Please join us after service. We want to we want to uh, meet you there so we can meet you and talk to you and pray with you. If it's your first time here, if you need help getting there, just ask one of our uh, volunteers or ushers. They'll help you get there. But can I pray a couple of things over us this morning? Would you lift up your hands and worship? I just want to declare over your life that just like David, God has been working all things for your good for years. He's been doing it for years, whether you've been realizing it or not. And that God, all, all, I'm praying right now for all those who have come out of traumatic experiences in childhood or, 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 or situations that would, that would uh, attack the identity and cause insecurity and give us reason to be hurt or wounded rejected. I pray that God is going deep this morning and he's healing those wounds like he did with David. But I want to also declare over you that a a lot of the things that happened in your life that you thought were setbacks, God is causing you in this season to realize that he's actually been using them as setups your whole life. And maybe you haven't seen it, but God's been preparing you all alone for the season that you're walking in right now. Come on, just receive that. I speak that over you. And I want to declare over you that wherever you're at right now, that you will finish this season well. Because I promise you that like David, if, that if you'll remain faithful with, with where God's planted you, and if you'll remain faithful with what God has put in your hands, God is getting ready to make a way where you don't, you don't see a way. And God is about to do things that you couldn't even dream of. People are about to send for you. People are about to ask for you. The anointing on your life is about to be requested. It's about to be needed. There are problems. Do you hear me? There are problems that you are called to solve. Do you know that's what David did? He solved a problem. There are, there's an anointing on your life to solve a problem in this world. And all of the seasons of your life have brought you to this moment to this moment and I declare over your life that that when that time comes that you're going to kill that giant you're going to slay that giant because you've leaned into the downtime you've leaned into the field you've leaned into the process you've let God have his way 